Welcome to the Bars and Tone radio program, an in-depth look at the news and issues facing Ahecta members today. Now here are your hosts, Hal Meeks and BJ Tarian. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Bars and Tones, the audio podcast for Ahecta. It's kind of like a mini conference session in audio form. We'll talk about issues that are facing members of AHECTA. My name is BJ Atarian. I am the student services manager at and the program director at NC State University's Wolf Bites and Pack TV. I've been at NC State for 17 years, and I am certified pro in Final Cut and Motion 5. My colleague who joins me now is Hal Meeks. Hal, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? My name is Hal Meeks. I am a chief chef and bottle washer here. Exactly. <laughs> I kind of keep it going. Uh, I'm certified in Final Cut 10 as well. I used to teach Adobe Premiere, um, and uh, I've got a lot of background in the Adobe Creative Suite. Um, let's see. I, um, I have a master's degree in art and design, and I'm currently working on my Ph.D., and uh, I've been working here at North Carolina State University for over 30 years. But that's who we are. But what is a hecta? And to answer that question, we go right to the top. The president of AHECTA, Michael <laughs> Beach. He's also the manager of Boiler TV at Purdue University. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. This is a, this is a great opportunity, and uh, I, look, I look forward to more of these podcasts. We're looking forward to doing them, too. So someone who's finding this for the first time, what is AHECTA? Well, that's a, that's a great question. AHECTA is... Uh, the the word, the title of HECTA uh, really stood for the Association of Higher Education Campus Television Administrators. And that's that's a, a big word there, big sentence there. But we're not just TV. The HECTA uh, has evolved as technology has evolved. The HECTA is really, it's a hub, it's a group, it's a, it's a place for people to meet and learn from each other. Connecta is essentially anyone involved in, in higher education video. Any Video and higher ed is the short. That's what we're shortening it to. What would you like to hear from these podcasts? I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear information about like what's, what's happening. What's the newest, what are the newest, what are the trends? Uh, what are, what are other universities doing? Uh, I think we, we sit in our universities and we, kind of get caught up in what we're doing and we wonder who else is doing this or uh, what are other people doing or is there a way I can improve and getting together as a group um, and that's the main thing that a heck is getting together and connecting with other people that's where you learn is someone else doing it too uh, is there a better way to do it is there an easier way to do it is there a cheaper way to do it how did you navigate through this problem that you had whether it's technical or um, or uh, you know personnel or, or uh, uh, administratively, how did you navigate to, to solve your problem? And we hope to definitely address uh, some of those issues as we move forward. Uh, he's the manager at Boiler TV at Purdue University and president of AHECTA. It's Michael Beach. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much. So that's a little bit about us, and we know about AHECTA. We're hopefully going to be addressing some of the issues that are important to members of AHECTA. This first show, we are going to talk about nonlinear editors, editing software for video on your computer. There are several players out there. Uh, the major ones, we're going to talk with Matt Tyson, a video producer who uses Avid. We are going to talk with Larry Jordan, 
who is everything Adobe and Final Cut. And those are the three big players in video production on the computer right now for nonlinear editors, Avid Media Composer, Adobe Premiere, and Final Cut 10. Uh, and, and a little bit about each one of those editors. Final Cut uh, came around in the late 90s. It, it had a major overhaul in 2011, and then another one Thursday, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a big one. Uh, and back in the Final Cut studio and Final Cut 7 days, an SCRI study had Final Cut with 49% of the U.S. editing market. Now, Final Cut costs just under around $300, right? Yeah, it was um, – well, it, it's $300 now. It used to be much more expensive than that. It was uh, – I want to say it was like uh, five, $600 for the uh, Final Cut uh, suite of products, which included Soundtrack, Final Cut. Um, and I think they – I'm trying to remember if they bundled um, – it wasn't Motion. It was a, pr- a predecessor to Motion that was included as well. I don't remember. What it was Live Type. That's what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Live Type. Which is now what they call the graphics editor in the TriCaster. Yeah, so interesting. Around, right? and, and the good thing with Final Cut is once you have it, you keep it. You get all the updates for free. That's right. And talk a little bit about some of the pros in using Final Cut, uh, Final Cut 10. The, the um, important thing to understand about Final Cut 10 is um, – uh, Apple went back and rebooted, completely rebooted the user interface from Final Cut 7. And there was a lot of people who were invested in Final Cut 7. And part of the reason why the adoption was so rapid was, first of all, the tight integration with digital video. Uh, Final Cut had that totally nailed. And the other thing was user interface uh, going from a tool such as Adobe Premiere to Final Cut was not a big leap. Um, they were very similar video editors. Now, we move forward to Final Cut 10. Uh, Apple completely reimagined re, uh, uh, Final Cut 10 and uh, really simplified the user interface a great deal. But I got to tell you, Final Cut 10's uh, chroma key is really, really good, and it's bone simple to use. That's the thing that floors me about it is that uh, under a lot of conditions where you would think that you're not going to get that great a key, you actually end up getting something that's very usable. So it's like Apple really nailed the whole idea of taking these really sophisticated and complicated uh, tools and simplifying them and making them much more approachable for people who are a casual editor, but also uh, people who may have a lot more experience in video editing as well. Keying is amazing in Final Cut. Another thing that's really cool with Final Cut, uh, the background rendering, it's doing the rendering right when you put the footage in. That's kind of nice. One thing people think about with Final Cut is it's it's a different way of doing things. What was Apple's slogan, think different in the 90s? Yes. And and if you think about what you would think would be a NLE, then think differently with the magnetic timeline and now the magnetic timeline too. Uh, it, it's kind of cool to be able to do all that. The speed and rendering and exporting faster, it does uh, in tests done by Mac Video Pro, it is faster than Premiere in uh, both speed rendering and exporting. But it's got some problems. Um, the different way of doing things could also be yes. a negative kind of. I mean, it, the whole magnetic part with the timeline. Yes, the interface in Final Cut 10 is uh, real unique and does not look like what people would imagine a traditional video editor looking like. And again, that really put a lot of people off when it came out. And, you know, that's the difference between if you want to look at the uh, uh, Final Cut 10 and Premiere, and these two tools are often, you know, pitted against each other, is that 
um, premiere um, up until the most recent release um, continued to look a little bit more like a traditional video editor, you know, but that's been the, the big thing and been the big sticking point for a lot of people um, is that they get, they get, they get in a mindset where they go, um, I want to, I want to learn a tool that has industry wide support instead of focusing on the fact that I want to learn a tool that's going to allow me to edit video really well. Final cut. 10 was a drastic change from Final Cut 7. They had a bit of a marketing problem, uh, and I don't know that they've ever recovered from that. What are your thoughts on what happened there when they went from 7 to 10? Well, you know, Apple does what Apple does, and, you know, and sometimes they uh, uh, basically make changes to um, to the way they do things in pretty radical ways. I mean, there's a history of that. You know, the iMac uh, introduced the USB interface, and then they also dropped the floppy drive, and these are all things that irritate people about Apple. But, you know, a lot of times uh, they make the – we look back in retrospect, and we realize that they made a good decision. Um, with Final Cut 7, you have folks who become very focused on – a certain way of doing things, a certain way of work, of you know working, and when you rep, when you present them with a radically different way of working and looking at something, um, it upsets them because um, and the fact is in a video production field, uh, it's very change adverse. Uh, you know, once you learn a tool, you want to focus on just getting your work done. You don't want to have you don't have extra time to go learn yet another tool and maybe make a mm -hmm. change to your workflow. You're basically being paid by the job, getting the job done, um, and so you really don't want to make changes. It's pretty common for people to. Um, get a version of an, uh, an operating system and a version of an application, and then they basically stay there for several years because it's stable and they don't want to make changes to it because they have to get work done. So Adobe Premiere also came around in the late 90s. Uh, it, its pricing structure is $50 a month on a recurring cost, but you can get access to all of the applications there. And is there an educational discount with that too? Yes, there is. If you um, if you pay attention every once in a while, Adobe will run a special where you can do $20 a month uh, for the first year uh, for Creative Cloud. And uh, you're right. That's the, the thing about it is, is that um, – is that you are paying for the entire uh, creative suite of products. And that's actually pretty important because, um, again, the delineated difference between Final Cut uh, 10 and uh, Premiere is that with Final Cut 10, you have a coupling between Motion and Final Cut. Um, and so you have these two tools that can work uh, in concert to allow you to do certain types of things. Well, in the Adobe uh, uh, universe, you have a suite of products that all basically can work together. So you have After Effects, you have Premiere, you have Audition, um, and you have Photoshop. Um, and all these tools can work together um, in the concert in creating a project. So you have a big advantage there. Um, one of the things that um, I would say that you know would be we would love to see addressed in uh, Final Cut Suite is a more robust audio editing environment, which might be coming now in this uh, we, this ten three. I'm 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 optimistic about that. Um, I would love to see tighter coupling for myself between uh, Logic and Final Cut. I think that'd be yeah, really be awesome. 
Now, Adobe has garnered as much as 60% of the market share now since the launch of Final Cut 10, according to learningdslrvideo.com. It is the most expensive out there, though, when you have that recurring cost. Now, the third editor we talked about is Avid's Media Composer. Now, that Media Composer 1 came out in 1989. It was originally designed to use on a Mac. It's approximately $1,000, but it's yours after you purchase it. So you don't have to go back and get new updates and pay for those updates, um, according to what I've seen, unless you see something. Right. Okay. So again, the um, uh, Avid's original business model is they sold you a workstation. Um, it's actually, you know, sort of like uh, in, in the battle days where you were editing, you were editing on tape. So you had an edit suite. Um, where you had a couple of decks, and or you might have three decks, and you have your line of monitors and everything uh, for editing. Um, and w so what Avid did is they sold you a turnkey system, which was a Macintosh with a bunch of cards in it and their software, and all these things were tightly coupled together. But fast forwarding to now, um, you can do educational pricing on um, Adobe on Avid's products, and. Um, so you can bring the cost down. The thing about Avid is, again, um, is that with Avid, you have to be careful about OS updates um, because typically what happens is uh, Apple uh, will come out with a new version of the OS, and Avid will put out a notification to its users saying, do not update your operating system. Uh, because typically um, there's something that needs to be updated in the uh, Avid product to make it work better with the uh, newer version of the OS. So again, a lot of people who work with Avid products um, don't do that. They basically get a stable uh, platform to work off of, and then they just basically don't touch it. They just use it as it is. So some pros with Avid. It's good uh, if you want to know if work in TV or film, you need to know Avid. Uh, some problems, though, as Hal's alluded to, is the uh, it breaks when you upgrade your Mac, and there's also an expense. And it's uncustomizable. It's not very friendly if you wanted uh, to customize it at all. Now, someone who works in Avid a lot is uh, founder and director of Tyson Films. Matt Tyson's last film was Thank You for Your Service, which was an in-depth look at mental health policies, mm -hmm. the armed services, and then the reintegration of soldiers into civilian life. It's Matt Tyson. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So... You edit on Avid Media Composer. Uh, what made you gravitate toward Avid? Uh, well, I mean, I started uh, in the 90s doing uh, VHS to, to, from my camcorder uh, using, like, a video mixer that I got at Circuit City. Um, and then I was doing some Sony Vegas in the late 90s. Uh, but when I moved to New York to start working in film, uh, the production company that I worked at, and then basically every post house that I was working with was using Avid Media Composer, and this was 2001. Uh, so really it was a function of my job. I, I had to learn how to do that. Um, and so soon after that, people started using Final Cut a lot more, but most of the post houses and my production company did not. Everyone stuck with Avid. Uh, so it was just really a function of what uh, the environments I was in, um, which is to say all the professional post houses uh, doing commercial, industrial, um, and broadcast work here were using Avid. What are some things that you like about Avid Media Composer? Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I think you'll find with uh, most nonlinear editing 
software systems that there are, are pros and cons. When I first started using Avid, one thing I don't like is uh, there's an extremely steep learning curve. I don't find it to be very intuitive. But once you get past that, uh, it's extremely stable. Um, the way that Avid manages media, uh, from my experience, surpasses any other uh, system, especially when you're dealing with a large project, um, such as the documentary that I just worked on. Two big things, when we had hundreds of hours of footage, we interviewed 250-plus people. Um, being able to manage all of that media and trust Avid to manage it uh, is almost priceless. As well, uh, when, with a documentary like that, Avid has a, an application called ScriptSync um, that no other editing systems have that I'm aware of. Uh, that, that makes it extremely easy to find something. So again, with veterans and mental health, you can go in and the, t- the title of the film was Thank You for Your Service. You can search Thank You for Your Service in our hundreds of hours of footage and find that phrase in every bit of our interviews, everywhere it is, double-click on and go right to the moment in the, in the interview that it is. Really? So it, it, it kind of takes the metadata from the audio file, it sounds like? It does. Uh, we enter the script, and it takes the audio file, okay. too. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's really those two things. And then the other thing, for me being an all-in-one, uh, you know, the, the ability to do sound mixing, even surround sound mixing within Avid, the ability to do special effects, uh, titling, um, it kind of has all of the professional level stuff uh, that you need to do if you're doing an all-in-one for you know a moderate-sized budgeted film. So you talked about the learning curve. Were there other things that you're just not pleased with the way Avid works? Sure, uh, especially when you're. So one thing, another good thing about Avid is that it's cross-platform PC and Mac. Right. So I've done a lot of projects with people who are cutting on a PC. I'm cutting on a Mac, and we easily go back and forth. However, uh, I have had a lot of problems with the, the stability of Avid as Apple continues to offer updates to their operating systems. I was just telling a, a young editor recently, my main machine, I don't even know what version, but it's some old version of Apple's operating system. I just don't update it frequently because I, I currently have my Avid stable on it. And if I update to a new operating system, Avid won't have certified whatever version it is because Apple updates all the time. So it'll cause a lot of bugs with Avid. That's yeah. something we've heard a lot about, actually, is the um, how it crashes after Apple well, updates. Yeah, I use I can't so. tell you how frustrating. I, I mean, I've done, yeah. spent a lot of time working as a post-supervisor at, at a production company here and on various projects because I came up through post-production. I can't tell you how frustrating it has been to deal with that, and especially when it's someone else's computer and the editor is cutting, and then it's like, oh, did you do an update? Yep, well, now I can't do anything. Oh, yeah, Because yeah. it's just, just going to keep crashing, and I don't know why, and I'll try to find out message board things, and it's tough. Uh, yeah. So, really, it, it, I mean, I, I remember when I first started, the, <laughs> the editor that was using Avid, that taught me Avid, his Mac was on one of the oldest, like the oldest Mac I had I had seen that was still working, and he told me at the time that it was because it was stable. Right, um, I I use Pro Tools, and the same it's the same yeah, deal. So with Pro it's Tools, still probably a similar thing. Right, yeah. right, yeah. You they <laughs> they tell you do not update your uh, version of the OS exactly. until until six months after it's come out. Exactly right. No, that's just that's one of the main problems I've had, and so I've learned to stop updating and just do it once Avid comes out with a new version. 
and they certified whatever operating system it is to make sure that that I'm I'm doing what they say. Otherwise, all kinds of bugs will come up. They're impossible to troubleshoot. So, if I'm just starting out in video editing, why do you think uh, I should choose Avid? I'm not so sure you should, but if you're trying to work in a professional environment in Los Angeles or New York, especially, uh, knowing that language will be priceless uh, because so many places still use it. They have had legacy systems at least as long as I've been here in the industry, which is 15 years. And these places just haven't moved away from Avid because they've always had Avids. Uh, so the ability to do that, and again, from my perspective, I think that the other popular editing systems are a bit easier to use. So if you were to learn Avid, you could easily pick up on the others pretty quickly. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think I think you can get away with editing on whatever you can get your hands on, uh, especially to learn if you're starting out. Just changing gears for a moment. Um, if I want to see, thank you for your service. Uh, where can I find it? Uh, right now, thank you for your service is uh, screening via uh, uh, an on-demand uh, theatrical distribution system by Gather Films. So you can go to gather g a t h r dot com. Uh, and you'll see thank you for your service there. And there are about 60 different screenings around the country. And if one is not in your area, you can sign up. And once 50 other people or so sign up, the screening will tip and then will happen in your area. Uh, and in a few months, probably in spring of next year, we should be uh, on digital distribution as well. If I want to donate to the cause that the movie brings to the forefront, what is the best way to do that? Uh, thank you for asking that. Uh, bhcnow.com, bhcnow, it stands for Behavioral Health Corps Now, uh, which is an idea that uh, one of our subjects came up with, uh, which is to have a behavioral health corps in the military that focuses on mental health care in the military. Uh, if you go there, you can find out all the information on where you can donate and more about the issues the film addresses. And what's next on the horizon uh, for you? For me, uh, I, in addition to doing documentaries, I still do industrial work for higher commercials, uh, and I'm going to be doing a bit more of that now that the, the documentary I just have finished uh, is cooling down a bit. So for clients, uh, one of my main clients right now is UBS. Um, I'll do some work for them, and then going to start on another documentary soon, uh, thinking about doing one on our nation's public education system. That would be a very interesting uh, subject to, to handle. Well, a founder, director, producer for Tyson Films, Matt Tyson, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, guys. And thanks to Matt Tyson. It is a great film. I saw it earlier this year when it came to the Triangle. Definitely worth looking at, at there. And Matt also with a great perspective on using Avid for your video editing. Now, our next guest is another person that I am incredibly excited to talk with. He's a member of the Directors Guild of America and the Producers Guild of America. He's written eight books and multiple articles on production and post-production. Publishes Larry Jordan's free weekly Adobe and Final Cut newsletter. That's in its, in its 11th year, and I am a reader every week. Uh, he's also the executive producer and host of the internet radio show called Digital Production Buzz. It's in its 17th year, and he's the namesake of LarryJordan.com. Larry Jordan joins us. Thanks, Larry. How are you? 
I'm exhausted after just listening to that introduction. I'm doing yeah. great. How are you? Good. And, you know, a little funny story. I had screwed the times up. Uh, for this interview. We were supposed to do it last week. Had we done it last week, everything we probably would have talked about would have been outdated uh, based on uh, the Apple announcement from last week. I know we're supposed to talk about Adobe and Premiere, but I think we need to... What did you think about the uh, new Final Cut upgrade? Oh, I'm very excited about it. Uh, You know, one of the things that's very interesting is watching the different developments cycles between Apple and Adobe because they have slightly different philosophies. Adobe releases new versions every six months. Apple releases incremental dot releases to fix problems, but a big version, they used to do it about once every three months as people were getting used to Final Cut 10. And now they're doing it about once a year. And, and it was about time for a new version to come out. And the new version's got some significant uh, enhancements to it. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out in the market. Definitely did. Uh, it was a little jarring when I opened it the first time, trying to find everything and, and see where everything was moved to. Uh, but it does look real sharp on the screen, too. Yeah, I love the new flat interface. Um, my uh, my master's degree is in design, so uh, anything that can look uh, more cluttered, less cluttered, and you know, be more focused on task is a good thing. So, well, if you look at if you look at Final Cut Seven and Premiere CS Six. Both of those had light gray interfaces, Premiere leaning light light gray-brown and, and Apple leaning pure gray. And since then, they have both been racing as fast as they can to create the darkest possible interface because what they realize is the less the eye is distracted from the video, the better the video looks. What I'm still getting used to is the fact that dark gray icons on the black background make seeing it really hard. But the concept is really strong. And I seem to remember, I think I read on your blog, you felt like you wanted to adjust the uh, the light in the room because it was so much different. It was, it was darker on the screen, it looked like. Um, Absolutely. The lighting that I had in my edit, have in my edit suite, when I'm writing, I'll have it bright enough so I can see the keyboard and, and be able to look at the papers on my desk. But when I'm editing, I've got the lights off because the darker the room is, the more the video just jumps off the screen and it's also a lot easier to see the interface. It was interesting to me how I needed to change the lighting to be able to, to get used to the darker look. Right. Okay. Um, well, what do you think about the industry uptake on Final Cut 10? Do you think uh, Apple's moving in the right direction? I think there's a different question to ask. And the question really is how, how, how would you define the industry? Oh... I think that's a fair question to to ask too, because that's that's something we've been talking about too. The people who are listening to this are not going to be your your Hollywood film producers, but a different segment of that that might use a different product. And I exactly think exactly right. If we look at if we look at Hollywood, Hollywood is still cutting ninety to ninety five percent of the movies on on Avid, generally Avid version three, which hasn't been released in twelve years, <laughs> or maybe version six or seven, which are only six or seven years old, because Hollywood is severely risk-averse. They do not adopt cutting-edge technology. And the reason is, meeting the deadline is more important than the technology, and staying under budget is even more important than meeting the deadline. So Hollywood is driven by demands that the rest of us don't necessarily have to follow. I'm not saying that we don't pay attention to deadlines, we don't pay attention to budgets, but people don't get fired as quickly in most industries as they do in Hollywood if one of those two gets screwed up. So if we define the industry as Hollywood, then Premiere has made some penetration, 
and Final Cut 7 made a lot of penetration. Final Cut 10 is making some, but it's owned by Apple. But that's not the industry. If we define the industry as people who get paid to create video, Hollywood pales into insignificance compared to education or compared to religion or corporate America or, or any company that needs to use video to communicate. And you only have to look at YouTube to realize that that's just about everybody today. So the question then becomes, what do you know? I teach it at another small school on the West Coast that, that I won't mention because it, it doesn't hold a candle to Raleigh. But nonetheless, I, the students that I teach are never going to be filmmakers. They're going to be business people. They're going to run their own companies. They want to be able to communicate powerfully with pictures, and I can teach them faster from a standing start with no prior knowledge. I can teach them Final Cut faster than I can teach them Premiere. I can teach Premiere faster than I can teach Avid. So if my goal is to train new people, Final Cut 10 blows the doors off, off everything else. If my goal is to teach existing editors, Premiere is a much more comfortable interface because it builds on the well-known interface developed by Final Cut 7 and Avid. So if you define industry as people who are traditional editors working in traditional editing environments, Premiere is the way to go. If you define industry as the new user who has no clue what most of the buttons mean and no understanding of the terminology and is just trying to get their YouTube video done, we're looking at Final Cut 10. So how do you define industry really becomes a relevant question to determine what the best software is. And that's another point that you should ask is, what is the best software? Because I don't think best is an answerable question. Yeah, I would agree with that too. And I think also uh, what you're most comfortable with when you when you dive into it, I think that has something to do with it. Um, I think it really depends exactly like how you're saying, what you're editing for and who you're editing for and who's doing the editing could answer that a little bit uh, more specifically. But talk about Premiere. Some of the things that Premiere excels at, uh, maybe a little better that some of the other uh, software does not. Oh, it's easy to talk about things that Premiere excels at. It's an outstanding package developed by a, a team of programmers and and, um, and and product management people that are dedicated to making it an outstandingly good piece of software. If we look at where Premiere was with CS4 or earlier and look at where it is today, there's no comparison. Back then, it was lucky that anybody used it. Now, it's absolutely world-class, top-grade editing software runs on Macintosh and Windows computers, which Apple does not. It supports every possible square ounce of power coming out of your GPU, requires no transcoding, requires no understanding of codecs. You just dump it in and edit it. And it has a traditional user interface, which means for people that understand what a source monitor is and a playback, what preview and program are, uh, is very comfortable. The, the big thing is that they've been working to scale back the interface which was dominantly over-cluttered. Now, it is much cleaner, much sleeker. The buttons don't get in the way. You don't try to keep wondering what you're supposed to click on at this point. Everything is hidden in submenus, which you get by control-clicking on the interface. So you can, you can be blissfully ignorant of 95% of what makes video video and still create a really top-quality product. And it's built in with the, the rest of the Adobe suite, which means that when you're working with Premiere, you've got access to After Effects. You've got access to Photoshop. You've got access to Adobe Media Encoder. You've got access to, to my favorite secret love, which is Adobe Audition. 
these are powerful, powerful programs that you can easily move files from one to the other without having to worry about XML or file interchanges. Click a button and they show up. So the, the suite integration and the fact that it's subscription-based, which makes it affordable, are just some of the reasons to consider Premiere. And, and actually, what you just hit on there with that integration, that's one of the things where I think Adobe, the Premiere, does so well. And I think Final Cut, yes, you can round trip with motion. And I think now with Final Cut 10.3, you'll be able to do a lot more with audio um, because I, I always thought the audio component in Final Cut was lacking compared to when you have Premiere. How will laugh? I have soundtrack installed on my oh, computer. Oh, God. No, here we go again. And use it daily. Oh, yeah. And I would love to see some sort of component with that in, in Final Cut. Maybe, maybe these new uh, lanes and, and roles will help me with that. Um, if I'm still on CS6, why should I get off of that and move to Creative Cloud? Because you're running a computer that's seven years old. If you're running older hardware, CS6 is the best choice. If you're running newer hardware, you're giving up power, you're giving up speed, you're giving up compatibility, and you're giving up support for the camera that you're buying tomorrow in the camera store. CS6 hasn't been upgraded in, in what, four years now? And, and there's right. been a lot of camera and codec technology since then. But if you're shooting HDV video or you're shooting SD video and you're working with videotape, in other words, if you're shooting and working with older technology, there's not a whole lot of advantage in upgrading. If you're working with newer technology or want to be able to play it on the latest uh, computer technology and take advantage of all the speed that that tech provides, then you want to upgrade. Okay, so um, something I want to pick up on a little while ago that you were talking about is um, you were making a delineation between uh, Premiere and Final Cut. Now, um, like you, I've, I've been editing for quite a while, and I used to teach Adobe Premiere back when there was a version four, and uh, then Final Cut, you know, then Final Cut, uh, the original version of Final Cut came out, and I actually switched platforms from the Windows platform to the Mac because of Final Cut, um, but if you were starting in video production, um, from what I'm hearing from you is that it might be better off if you are already committed to the Mac platform that you uh, go ahead and gravitate to Final Cut 10 uh, versus Premiere. You want to comment on that? Um, <clears throat> yeah. Let me ask you a different question. Okay. Have you ever had Have you ever had construction done to your house? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. When you hire a carpenter, do you ask the carpenter whether he's got a Stanley hammer or a DeWalt hammer? No, no. And, and do you expect the carpenter to have just one tool in his toolkit, or do you expect him to have a hammer and a saw and maybe even a screwdriver if he's an advanced carpenter? Okay, I see where you're going with this. Sure. Yes. So why, so why should we learn one tool? The big problem that we had that, that was exposed when Final Cut 10 was released that none of us realized at the time and realized because it hit us in the face is this: as editors, we were defining ourselves in terms of the tools we used. I, hey, you hire me because I'm a Final Cut editor. Not because I can tell stories, not because I can cut trailers, but you hire me because I know how to use a Stanley screwdriver. Well, this is exactly wrong. I don't want to hire someone because they know how to use a Stanley screwdriver. I want to hire somebody because I have a product I need to sell or training I need to convey or a story I need to tell. Why should I hire you based upon the tool? 
This is like asking a producer to understand what codecs are. Producers can't even spell codecs. Why should they understand the difference between ProRes and DNxHD? We focus on the wrong things. I know Premiere. I teach Premiere. I enable people who, who do Premiere at their job to earn a living. That's part of what my training job is. I teach Final Cut. I teach Motion. I teach Adobe Media Encoder. I teach a wide, a wide variety of tools because no one tool does everything that we need for everybody. Why should we define ourselves in terms of, well, I'm only going to learn Premiere or I'm only going to learn Final Cut. I only want to earn 50% of my possible income. I mean, how stupid is this? And, and you we actually... Need to focus... God, I'm sorry. We need to focus on what it is that we do that, that benefits our client. Not simply brag about the fact that that we have a, a special advanced degree in software wrangling. Right. I, I yeah. I completely agree with that. Um, you know, I do. Uh, um, I use After Effects a lot, and but I also have been using Motion, and they are they're similar tools, but they're also have unique advantages. And you kind of just hit on this. One of the things I wanted to ask you was, is it a good idea to be married to one nonlinear editor or to know at least have another one in your back pocket and then take whatever you have to do and then use the one that's best suited for that? I got another question for you. Do you see your job as enabling students to acquire knowledge or do you see your job as enabling students to get work? And I think here it's more of a knowledge thing because we don't have okay. a video production major. We've got a communications department. But the people who work here for us more than likely are not going to be going out into the video world, going directly to Hawaii, uh, to Hollywood or doing films right out of the gate. I think it's more of, hey, this is something that's fun for them and they want to do it in their spare time. Okay. So in that case, you're teaching something which becomes a hobby, which is perfectly okay, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So therefore, exposing them to multiple tools is a good thing. What I would, what I would recommend for students who expect to, to maybe not get a job as a filmmaker but have a visual component in the work they get out of school is to know one package well enough that they can earn a living with it and to be aware enough of the second package that they can then fall back to it if an employer says, well, excuse me, I don't use package A, I use package B, they can say, okay, I have at least an understanding of it. I can get up to speed with it quickly. So for me, the issue is not what software do you learn, but what's the market willing to pay for? If you have a client that says, I need this cut, and they don't care what software to use, that's one thing. If you have a client that says you're part of a team of five editors and we're an all Adobe shop or we're all Apple shop, and if you want to get a job there, you need to know that software. Again, what we need to do is we need to focus on what are we teaching and why are we teaching it? Are we teaching people skills just like, like ancient Greek that it's nice to know, but you're not going to earn a living with it? Or are we teaching people skills that they can then use to tell stories and they're working for themselves? Or are we teaching skills that enable people to join the job force and earn a living? Any one of those three is a good thing. But we need to understand what our role is in teaching and, more importantly, what the student's role is in learning and what they're going to do with that information once they have it. Given that, I would have them be exposed to multiple tools, but not to the extent that they fail to learn how to use one well enough to earn a living. Okay. No, I, I completely agree. Um, that's something that our uh, communications department has been struggling with uh, for a while now because they are in a – they're in a period of time where they've been using Final Cut 7, 
and they want to move to another editor, but they're at a crossroads. And I think you, what you've hit on is the, um, the whole problem of uh, defining uh, you know, workflow based on technology or based on the craft of filmmaking. And uh, these, are, these are different questions that you have to tackle. Um, I do want Any, to ask... How, excuse me, how, yeah. excuse me one second. I'll, I'll let you ask a question. If you get Adobe, you can do world-class professional-grade results. If you get Final Cut 10, you can do world-grade professional-class results. If you're doing cutting, it is impossible for anyone to say this was edited in Premiere or this was edited in Final Cut. When you add effects, yes, you can tell. But when you're cutting or adding titles, no, it's invisible. So either one of them can achieve absolutely stellar, unparalleledly perfect results. So it's just a question then of, of interface and interoperability. And for that, everybody's opinions are different. But it's not a question of good or bad. It's a question of both of these are more than good enough. So now, which one are we most comfortable with? It's like putting on a pair of shoes. Once you have shoes that fit, now you can start to worry about the color. Yes. Um, okay, so um, actually, you're absolutely right. You know, this is sort of the question I've been having, the conversation I've been having with them as well, um, because they have folks on their staff who are, are working filmmakers, and that's the thing that they really do want to focus on is, you know, is the craft itself and a little bit less about the technology. Um, I have a question for you, and that is... Um, what kind of computer are you editing on? Are you using a Mac Pro um, or using a uh, high-end iMac? Um, I have uh, three 27-inch iMacs that I edit on, 32 gigabytes, and uh, both all three of them are about a year and a half old. Okay. And with the upgrade to uh, Final Cut, with, with Final Cut, rather, and then all the Adobe... Uh, software, where can I go to get access to your content and training videos? And I know you've got a 141 video Final Cut update coming up, which I'm going to be getting or at least registering for right after we're off the phone. Uh, where can people go to get that information? Um, for people that want to learn more about Adobe or Final Cut, visit my website at LarryJordan.com. That's all one word, LarryJordan.com. You'll find over 1,500 free tutorial articles and lots of video training covering all the Adobe products and all the Apple products. And my brand-new Final Cut 10.3 training will release on Monday. It's going to have 139 movies in it, and I've only got 20 more to record. So uh, it'll be, uh, it's going to be as current as I can possibly make it. Excellent. Thank you very much. You wanted to talk about Michael Jordan, his, his Yeah, uh, yeah. Tell me, as, as the uncle of Michael Jordan, how does that feel? <laughs> he's been wanting to ask you that all week. You know that. No, no, no. No, uh, I well, haven't. He's, he's not the first. And, and I just say he's my younger brother, and I'm really proud that he turned out so well. <laughs> You've got the skills from what I've heard, though. That's true. The family. That's true. You taught him everything he knows. <laughs> Larry, thank I you very indeed. much. Yeah, thank you very much. Larry Jordan joining us, LarryJordan.com, for all the Adobe and Final Cut training, your training needs. Thanks, Larry. My pleasure. Delighted to join you anytime. That was cool. Only the best here for Bars and Tone radio program. Larry Jordan from LarryJordan.com. 
So we've talked about three different editors here. There are a couple others out there on the market. Sure. One that I'm getting ready to look at is DaVinci Resolve, which there there is a free version of, and that was basically your color grading tool, but it's getting into video editing now also. Uh, I don't know much about uh, Virtual Dub other than it's just for Windows. It's not really an editor. Okay. And how about, do you know how to say Avid Mux? Avid Mux? Avid Mux is, Avid Mux is not an editor. Okay. It's, uh, it's, a video, it's a video tool for demuxing and muxing video. Um, if you have to ask, you probably don't need it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Windows Movie Maker, of course, that's just oh, for yeah. Windows. I uh, cut my last feature film on Windows Movie Maker. Lightworks free version for Windows and Linux, and then of course iMovie. Uh, a lot of people used to call that Final Cut Light. Uh, no, that's mean. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think the important thing is uh, what matters when you edit might not be what, what you're editing on, but if you can get your story across. We heard that from Larry Jordan, uh, and if you can get your creation across to the end user, then whatever you're using, you've done your point. You've done what you wanted to do. Right, right. Do not fixate on a particular tool. Fixate on creating uh, killer content that people are going to enjoy. And, you know, you can download trial versions of these softwares and edit something small and see what you think. Right. You know, like with the Creative Suite, you can pay for one month. So so if you're not sure that's the way you want to go, you just pay for one month and then go ahead and install it and, and see how it works out for you. So you've been listening to the first edition of the Bars and Tones podcast. Our thanks to Michael Beach, the president of AHECTA, Larry Jordan from LarryJordan.com, and Matt Tyson from Tyson Films. It's been a pretty educational first show. I think it's been great. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed doing it. This has been the podcast from AHECTA. More information is available at AHECTA.org. For Hal Meeks, I'm BJ Atarian. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>